0: You are listening to Fast Track Podcast, the place to be to fast track your personal finance or fast track your business, or both, through a series of conversations with those who have learned it, done it, and made it. Millennial Money Woman, also known as Fiona, she's an entrepreneur and work traveler. Thanks to her healthy finance habits, she bought her home at the age of 23 and is now on her way to become a millionaire in just a few years. As a certified financial planner, Master of Science Personal Financial Planning, and Chartered Retirement Planning Counselor, she wants to help young professionals have what she did not growing up, a guiding hand to help make the right financial decisions now, so that their future will be a seamless ride. In this episode, we talk about how anyone can become a millionaire with the dollar cost averaging strategy, common money needs, and the mindset differences between the rich and poor. Welcome to Fast Track Podcast, Millennial Money Woman. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Should I call you Fiona.
1: You can call me Fiona, yes.
0: (laughs) So I want to know that how did you get started? Why why are you interested in personal finance? What got you into this topic? Definitely. So
1: for me, my story actually started with my grandparents. And they were the really the driving force that got me into finance. And what happened was when I was probably 10 years old or so, um, I saw them firsthand, right? They built up their business together. It's a small local business over in Europe, actually. And, um, they worked every day to build this business. And unfortunately, due to some poor financial planning, they lost their business and more. So they mortgaged their house. They, they just lost everything. Essentially they were homeless by the time they were 75 or 80. Um, and when I saw them, go through basically the ups and the downs, right, of life specifically as it relates to finance. That was, I think, really the push in my life that had me start to think, how can I prevent something like that, the financial ruin essentially that they went through, um, how can I prevent that ruin from happening to me, my family, and anyone else that I can help? And this wasn't kind of a thought process that happened overnight, obviously. It was something that really, you know, happened over a couple of years. And when I was in college, I really started to get interested in finance, Um, not so much to make money at first, but more so to figure out how can you use money to build more money for your future and, you know, secure a future where you don't have to worry about living on the streets or you don't have to worry about the future cost of healthcare because in America, you know, long-term care in nursing homes or in hospitals, it's just such a huge cost of living. It's very, very, uh, a lot of people are worried about lo- running out of money because it's so expensive, the healthcare. And, and I wanted to figure out how can I not worry about that when I'm older? And that's kind of what made me really get into finance. And, um, yeah, the rest is kind of history. I, I really love what I do. It's such a passion of mine. And I love seeing people win too. I feel like when I win, everyone else wins. And when everyone else wins, I win. So it's kind of like a mutual relationship. And, yeah, and
0: you're helping people to build a better financial future. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, I can really relate to what you're saying before, because it's also something happened to me. Uh, I didn't get a chance to realize the importance of personal finance at a younger <laughs> age, but it's just so many things happened within short period of time that make me realize that, you know, having a healthy finance, you know, having a, you know, something that you can use, I mean, money-wise, savings, investment to cover some emergency. Even sometimes, you know, when you have enough money, you can receive better treatment or more possibilities to that was shocking me really like money equals life like to leave <laughs> that really so I got into this topic that's why I'm very excited to hear from you as an expert that you have told me about you bought your first property when you are 23 so how did you make that happen <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes yes um well you know I I know that I'm I'm very lucky to have been able to think very far ahead uh, from a very early stage in my life. So when I was basically 16 years old, um, that seed that was planted after I saw what happened to my grandparents really started to take uh, ground in my true being, like who I was. And so since I was 16, I started to, you know, save every single penny I could. I invested everything I could. I I made a lot of I guess looking back, I made the right choices, right? So I gave up wearing the nicest clothes. I gave up trying to look the part and rather I, one, worked as much as I could work, as much as I could find work. Two, I invested as much as I could from an early age. And three, I really started to immerse myself in anything related to financial matters. So my goal was to really get a jump start ahead of my colleagues At that age, and even in college, because I wanted to get into life and basically hit the ground running, right? So um, I think that is really what helped me understand uh, the the world in general. And I graduated college almost three years early. I got into the world three years early. Yeah, Yeah. I I I mean that wasn't it wasn't the best time. I'll be very honest with you because I was studying day and night uh, every single day, basically. It was, it was rough, but because it was almost three years yeah, early, I got into the workforce at such a young age, was able to make money and look for properties probably for one or two years in advance. And then I was able to negotiate the price down as well. And that's how I was able to purchase my first house at 23.
0: Wow. That's that's very impressive. Uh, Thank you. It was a lot of
1: work though. I will definitely say it's not easy.
0: (laughs) But when you started to learn about uh, personal finance and how you deal with money, Mm -hmm. so along the journey, uh, did you notice like what kind of behavior change or mindset change that you have made?
1: Absolutely. 100%. I mean, I'm going to be very honest. Like when I was before I really got into finance, I was that person that literally went to the mall every Wednesday with my group of three friends. I'm not kidding you. This is real. And we were like, oh, what can we buy? The coolest clothes and everything. So back then I was like really focused on appearances, right? I really wanted to look the part. Although I was, you know, I was still in school, I wasn't earning any money and I was spending much more than anything I could have, you know, brought in. But once I studied, Um, finance, and once I really immersed myself, and once I started meeting people who were successful in finance, and I found my mentor as well, who was such a powerful influence, positive influence on my life, like you said, my mindset totally changed. And what specifically changed was how I think of money. Um, And the way I think of money is in terms of time. So when I spend you know, I don't know, 100 bucks, for example, when I spend $100, I don't think of it as $100. I think of it as I just spent three hours or however many hours of my life on this shoe or on this dress or whatever. So when you think about spending money in the form of spending your time, how much how much of your life it took you to earn that money to buy that dress, it's a totally different perspective. And I think that made me really change my money
0: behavior. Right. And then what do you think are the biggest money myths held by other people if they have not made that realization? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so
1: I can tell you for sure. I've, I've worked with a lot of millennials. Obviously, I'm a millennial too. And. There are a couple of myths that seem to be very recurring, right? So the theme is, it always pops up the more I talk with millennials. So a couple of them, for example, are you need to buy a house to be financially successful. And I know you and I were just talking about houses, obviously. Uh, For me, it's always been a dream to have a house and to build it, hold it, and then sell it. So for me, it was kind of like an investment. But for a lot of other millennials that I've spoken to, the only reason why they want a house is because to them, that means they've made it. And I think that's a myth in some sense, because you know, in America, at least, and I'm sure in other parts of the world as well, you don't necessarily need a house. To rent, right? Like you, like you said, you don't really need a house. You can be very happy and successful if you rent. Uh, And I think that there are a lot of positives when you rent as well. I mean, you have flexibility. You don't need to worry about the upkeep. You can move if you want to. You don't have to go through the whole. I mean, in America, at least it takes like one, two, three months or more to finalize the paperwork and you know talk to your real estate agent. It's just such a long process. So owning a house isn't always made out to be that wonderful. And I can tell you firsthand as being an, a homeowner, it's not that wonderful a lot of times, but uh, I think that's the, the number one big myth to bust here. It's owning a house is not always the best thing. So you don't always have to own a house. <laughs> the second thing that I've seen often with millennials is kind of this fallacy that, you know, saving can wait for tomorrow. A lot of times that when, when I mentor, and coach my millennial peers, they tell me the reason why they don't save or save every penny that they can is because they don't earn a lot of money today. But they say, well, in one or two years, I'll be earning more money, so that's when I can really be putting away a lot of money for saving. And I say, this is where we kind of get into a conversation and um, I think it, it really matters not how you treat $1,000, right? When you really make a lot of money, What matters is how you treat $10. If you're able to hold on to $10, let's say if you only earn $30,000 a year or whatever your salary is right now, you should still be looking at your salary the same way that you would at a $300,000 salary. In other words, if you earn $30,000 today, and if you can save 30% or 20% of your income, that's a healthy money habit. And that will translate over to a much larger salary at like $300,000 because you'll be implementing the same behavior when you earn more as when you did when you earned much less. So a lot of it just starts building up, right? So a lot of people say, I can save for tomorrow. Mm -mm, Start today. That is so, so important.
0: Yeah, I heard that a lot. I think it also applies to retirement planning when you are young. Yes, (laughs) yes. I have time, I have like 40 years ahead of me to work in the (laughs) same retirement.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's with millennials, I know, I mean, I'm myself included, I'll be very honest, like retirement seems so far off. And it is, I mean, it's like four decades or five decades away, right? Long, long time away. But I think a lot of times we fail to realize the mathematics behind it, where if you start investing in the stock market today, right? Even if you're 20 or 25 or however old you are, um, you have to save much less today uh, in order to get to your million dollar goal or $2 million goal or whatever it is in the future, versus if you started just five years later or 10 years later. And that's the time value of money and compounding interest. It's like, Like Albert Einstein said, it's the eighth wonder of the world, practically.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think if you don't really calculate it and put the numbers down on a spreadsheet, you don't see how powerful it is. It's just in your mind like, oh, maybe there will be some money in the future. But when people really see the doubled, tripled in 20 years, 30 years, that can make a huge impact how how they look at it. That's
1: absolutely right. Yeah, and I love how you mentioned the spreadsheet part. Like, I think it's so important for you know, especially people that maybe aren't that familiar with money. Um, it's really helpful to write things down or put things on a spreadsheet, like you said. And there's there's this strategy called the dollar cost averaging strategy, which basically have has you put money into the stock market or an investment over a certain period of time, right? Consistently. So like every two weeks or every month or whatever it is, you put money into the stock market. And um, to your point about starting early for retirement in the future, if you're, for example, 25 years old and you invest $205 every two weeks or $410 every month, and you do that for 40 years, you're going to be a millionaire. Um, and I mean, it's just, it's not that much money if you think about it, right? $205 every 14 days. Like you can, you can make that happen. If you start, you know, saving somewhere, uh, maybe spending less than other areas. And that million dollar goal is going to become a reality if you stick with that plan.
0: Right. Actually, I want to ask you, like, how, like, a millennial, how can someone aged between 20 to 30 can become a, uh, can become a millionaire? <laughs> you just gave me the answer. Oh, if- I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the person, instead of 200 or 400 per month, you, you put 800 per month or you put 600 per month, you can accelerate, right? It's not going to take 40 years, you said. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. you're
1: absolutely right. You can accelerate that. But, you know, and even so, let's say you're struggling, right? $410 per month, that sounds like a huge number. But if you break that down, right, if you're 25, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I have to save $410 a month. Well, let's break it down. What does that mean that you have to save per day? That's really only $13.66 a day. And like, when you think about it that way, when you break down those big, big goals into small little attainable steps, I think everyone can somehow find $13 a day, right? I mean, you just, maybe you sell something in your house that you don't need anymore. And that takes up space, or you don't go to the restaurant, you don't buy coffee or whatever it is, right? But you can do that. It's manageable.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then that leads to my next question is, so in order to save $13 per day, but what do you think are the most common spending habits that people should avoid? (laughs) Uh, so that, that could result in the thirteen dollars per day, right?
1: Absolutely, yes. I, I love how this conversation is going. <laughs> um. So how can you how can you stop spending money? Well, uh, well, yeah. Like you said, let's actually start why people spend money. Um. There are many different reasons why people spend money, but in at least from what I've seen, the number one reason why people spend money has to do with emotions. So people are in general, very emotional, right? Like our behavior is very emotional driven, even when it comes to investing. A lot of people are like, oh, well, I had a great experience with Nike. That's why I want to invest in Nike or whatever it is. It's very emotional. Um, And it's the same goes for our spending patterns. So for example, from my experience mentoring millennials, I've seen the common reasons for overspending to include um, instant gratification. So they want to feel good right now. That's why they want to spend right now. Number two is addiction. So like they are addicted to, I don't know, getting yoga pants. They always want the newest yoga pants. So they go out there and they go spend that money. Number three is keeping up with the Joneses. That's kind of like, you want to feel good about yourself because you are quote unquote better than the other, than the other people out there, right? So you're always trying to buy the newest stuff, the newest car, the newest whatever it is, in order to feel good about yourself. Um, the fourth reason is to show love. And it's you know you want to show love to your partner, but if it's the right partner, you don't always need to spend so much money on them. If they truly love you for who you are, they don't need materials, right? So that's another one. Um, and then there are a couple of other reasons too, like relieving bad feelings. I know a lot of millennials. Um, Surprise, so a lot of women that I work with—they when they have a bad day, myself included too—you know—we go out and we want to buy something to feel better. Whatever it is, we go out and buy stuff. But instead of buying, you know, a way to kind of combat that is go for a walk. You know, refresh your brain. Try to breathe in some fresh air and get those emotions out because again most of the time emotions is the number one reason why we overspend.
0: Right. And also you see if you watch some dramas, TV shows, movies and they're always promoting, oh, let's go shopping. Oh, don't feel upset, honey, let's go shopping. Yes.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're you nailed it spot on. Like I think the media too oftentimes tries to compel a lot of people to go out and spend money because you deserve it you deserve a new car you deserve this and it's like i'm sure you deserve it because you work hard but there are other cost effective ways to spend your money instead of you know buying a brand new car for example
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then what do you see are the most common uh, things that you think people should avoid spending money on it that is not necessary it can be small it can be big ones
1: yeah so there that's a great question by the way um i think the number one thing is probably spending money on a new car so i'll share a story uh one of my actually good friends she uh i think she got out of law school a couple of years ago so she probably spent 6 to 7 years studying in law school and she finally got her degree. She finally got, you know, a decent paying job. And I, I I, hear her. I understand how she feels. Finally, she's, you know, making money. And But the first thing she did that when she earned this money was buy a brand new Audi, right? This beautiful car, gorgeous. But I think there were much better ways that she could have used that money, such as paying off her student debt or her credit card debt. Instead, she went out and bought a brand new car. And I think the reason why buying a new car, and this is nothing against Audi, it's just like, you know, whatever new car you buy, typically speaking, that's a depreciating asset, which means the second you buy it and the second you drive that new car off of the the auto dealer's parking lot, it already depreciates like ten, twenty thousand dollars 20000 or however much yeah. this car originally was, right? You, you already lost money. So why do you want to spend your money on something new when instead you could be buying a used car, have someone else take the depreciation hit and you buy it for a fairly good price and the car's still in like decent shape. So that's the number one thing I see people lose their money on is just buying brand new cars.
0: <laughs> yeah. It also reminds me of the episode I did with Auto Purpose and then he also recognized that this is yes! number one mistake people make it's <laughs> uh, buying a brand new car. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, when I looked at her car bill, I- I'm not going to lie. It was more than what I pay for my house, like insurance yeah. and the car. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's incredible. But I think a lot of people make that mistake, but it's also because again, like you said, the media really pushes us. It's kind of like a social peer pressure type thing. So mm-hmm. I don't blame them, but it's yeah, definitely one of the things. And I mean, there, there are many other things like th- this is something that I saw working with a couple of my millennial mentees and that yeah. is subscriptions. A lot <laughs> of us, like, I know you would never think <laughs> subscriptions cause us to lose money, but they actually do. Um, and I saw that because we went through their budget together, like, you know, cent by cent, literally going through every single expense per month. And there was a few people that I saw, they spend probably more than $90 a month on various subscription services, like $4 on a phone app here, $10 on a magazine service here. And, you know, you don't really think of all of that, but in the end, it really adds up to a lot. So in the end, you know, per year, they're spending probably over $1,000 on these subscription services that they don't even need. And I mean, in the big picture, $1,000 $1,000 probably isn't that much. But then again, if you think about it, in 10 years time, that $1,000 is $10,000 that they could have saved, invested, or paid off debt. And instead they're paying subscription services that they don't need. Um, so I think thats all, it's also important to, although we want to look at the big picture, like those depreciating cars, it's also important to kind of look at the small things because small things can add up to larger costs like subscription services.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, no matter it is small or big, it's about your money mindset, how you use your money. If you spend on small things, even it's five dollar coffee, uh, you could probably could do it at home for one dollar or fifty cents. But it's the how, the way how you use your money that makes a difference.
1: That's exactly right. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Then I want to ask. So now we talk about you know things people should avoid. The, what do you think are the differences between the rich people mindset and poor people mindset? Or like why rich people, they are rich. It's, it's
1: something that I was always asking myself too. Why are the wealthy always wealthy? And it seems like their families typically also stay wealthy. So what's the secret? And I was fortunate enough to uh, find a mentor at a very young age and I um, He's helped me. So he he's like 75 years old now. So he's been through the ups and downs of life, and I've had the ability and the opportunity to kind of ask him a few questions, and that's where I kind of put de- pen to paper and figured out, you know, what really is the difference poor versus rich. So I'd say number one, what I've seen across the board is the wealthy they really understand the basic concepts of financial literacy, um, and I think you know, finance in general, it's kind of like a different language, right? I mean, when I first went into finance, I I thought I was speaking a different language. I'll be very honest because there's so many acronyms and then there's math also involved. And then it's just so much going on in finance. So I definitely understand it's different and it's scary. And because of that, a lot of people, they want to stay within their comfort zone. They don't want to get out of their comfort zone. And I think that's why a lot of people who maybe haven't made the jump yet stay away
0: from finance because it's uncomfortable comfort zone means they are like they don't understand finance that's why they didn't really learn more about it exactly because
1: they didn't understand it yes and it's unfortunately you know it's it is very difficult to understand but if you want to get better at money i think the first step is understanding a little bit about money and that's what the wealthy really have in common. They understand the basic workings of how money can make you more money. Um, and they see money as a tool, really. So, for example, the wealthy understand that when you invest money um, and you invest it for the long term, typically speaking, at least in the past, it's always grown, it's always compounded. And because they understand that and they have that mindset, Um, I think a lot of them are able to use that long-term mindset to help them make more money in the future. So that's number one, basic financial literacy. The second thing that I've noticed is, and I've spoken about this here earlier too, the wealthy have mentors. Um, Mentors are so, so important if you want to become the best at maybe a niche or you want to learn about money or whatever it is that you want to do. Mentors, they give you uh, an upper hand because they help you save time because they can share their life experiences with you. You don't have to spend 10 years, you know, figuring out something. You can learn it from them. They can help you save money because they can give you money-saving tips and they help you save your energy because they're able to pass down that knowledge and information um, that they really, you know, learned throughout decades of their lives to you. And, mentors in general are just they're super helpful whatever it is if it's because you're opening a business if it's because you're in a certain career path or you're still in school mentors are extremely powerful um and then something that i also noticed is the wealthy in general they pay themselves first and what that means is when you receive a paycheck for example you the wealthy they automatically route a portion of their paycheck toward their retirement savings or their other investment assets. So instead of you know using that paycheck and immediately spending it on whatever it is, fun, games, toys, or whatever it is, they actually first spend it on themselves by investing in their retirement accounts. Hmm. Then anything that's left over, they either pay off debt or they then spend for you know, daily living expenses, etc. But that's a huge shift in mindset, right? When you get money, first, it goes to your retirement savings, then you pay whatever you need to pay and daily living expenses.
0: The I others- have to, Sorry mm-hmm. to cut you. Yeah. Clarify here for the audience. So pay yourself first does not mean you go shopping, pay yourself. No. <laughs>
1: it does not no thank you for saying that it does not it means paying your retirement accounts first
0: exactly (laughs) okay please go
1: yeah no i love it um and then i I have a lot but i'll narrow it down to two more so the other two habits that i see um you know generally speaking between the wealthy and the, the the not so wealthy are one the healthy the wealthy eat healthy Um, A lot of times I see that, you know, health and wealth really does go together. So they don't really eat, um, you know, the junk food, they try to stay active, they try to run, they try, they just really try to stay healthy, and not just physically, but also mentally. So you really, your output is what you it is what your input is, right? So they try to consume excellent information. So instead of watching um, shows that might not help fortify their mind. They read books, they read, um, whatever they can in order to educate themselves further. So their work output is also equal of that excellence that they input into their minds, into their brains. So again, health and wealth really do go together. And by health, I don't just mean the body. I also mean the mind. And then the last, or the last point here that I'll make is, um, the the wealthy, they also don't really carry bad debt. And bad debt is typically high interest debt. So we're talking credit card debt, for example. That's something that the wealthy, they try to pay off first things first, right? They don't want to carry that with them because high interest debt is an easy way to just lose money because the banks, right? Or the credit card companies, they're taking your money away because it's so high interest and
0: it really is a burden on your wealth. Right. Yeah. And also solve the interest credit card interest rate in the US. double digit, I read oh. somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny that you say that because today, just today, I got a new credit card um, statement and they said they revised a couple of terms and conditions where my credit card interest rate is now 29.99% interest. It's crazy. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't carry any credit card debt, but still it's like, this is insane. It's crazy. Yeah, imagine
0: if you if you just invest in a product, if the product gives you 30% ROI return, you have to bail so much risk, right? Yep. Just yep. to get 10% return, annual return, it's already pretty amazing. It's an amazing return. But the credit card can easily eat your 30%. This is crazy. It is. It's
1: it's literally white-collar crime. And most people, like, you know, I have a good friend. Um, she, she When she first started, she didn't know what credit cards were, really how they worked. Because to be very honest, we're not really taught this in school, unfortunately. And so she went out and she bought like $800 of clothes just because on her credit card. And like, then she was slapped with this, you know, whatever it was, 24% interest rate on her credit card, at least. And it's like, it just eats away at, at, at your wealth, right? It's not worth it, not worth it. Stay away from credit card debt, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay, thank you for the four points, it's very useful. We talk about the mindset between the wealthy and the poor. And I would like to ask for average person, if they have not learned personal finance and they are scared of finance, what tips do you give to them? How can they get started? Yes, that's a
1: very good question.
0: So, you know, when
1: you start learning finance, I think the number one thing to remember is that it takes time to learn it. So, you know, don't expect of yourself to be uh, the, the Wall Street expert by day two. OK, <laughs> like that's what I thought I was going to do, stepping into finance, um, that I would know the, the calls and the trades and the puts and the options and be like the best investor. No. In order to step into personal finance, what the best recommendation is, is one, give yourself time. It's going to be a very long and uh, different mind adjustment because it's a different world. Finance takes just time to understand because of the jargon, right? It's a different language, basically. Number two is try to read the correct information. And by correct information, I mean established sources such as, uh, money magazines like Forbes or established, um, personal finance blogs. I mean, there are many out there. Nerd wallet is one dollar sprout is another, obviously my personal finance blog is also there, the millennial money woman. Um, but there are many good resources that can help you drill down to the basics. And then lastly, something that's also helped me when I first started learning finance is watching YouTube videos believe it or not, um, if you're a visual person and and you kind of like hearing people talk about it, YouTube might be a good source for you. And um, I forgot to mention this as well. The last point, ask someone, you know, this is where a mentor comes into play again. If you want to know and have a little bit more personal uh, input when it comes to finances, find someone from your local community, a local community leader, perhaps, or a close or trusted professor, for example, who might know a few things about finance, pay for their coffee, sit down for an hour for lunch maybe, and pick their brain and ask them a little bit about finance. Those are some really effective ways that have helped me and my mentees excel when it comes to personal finance.
0: Mm, Thank you so much for the advice. And if people would like to learn more about you or uh, read your articles, you know, you, you bring a lot of valuable content uh, through your social media channels as well. Can you tell them where can they find you? Absolutely. So there are a couple of places.
1: The first one is my blog, which is the millennialmoneywoman.com. Every week, I'm releasing two to three new blog articles about various financial topics. So definitely feel free to read through those. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, And my Twitter handle is at the underscore M M W and feel free to engage direct message me, whatever it is. I always love connecting with my audience. And then finally, if you're a Pinterest person, you can also contact me on Pinterest and just type in the millennial money woman and I'll pop right up.
0: Lovely. Thank you so much for the great, valuable information today, and I'm sure the audience can benefit a lot from it. And I will leave all the links in the show notes so they can reach out to you, they can consume your content, and also they can also learn a little bit about personal finance. Thank you so much, Fiona.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Before letting you go, I have a very exciting news to share with you. I am collaborating with Financial Imagineer to introduce you the Fast Track Money course. This six-week online course is designed to help young professionals in their 20s to early 40s to learn how to save more, earn more, and invest, so you can use money as a tool to fulfill your dreams. We teach you the proven method that Matthias has been using himself in the last 20 years and achieve financial independence. If he can do it, you can learn the method and do it as well. Sign up for this course on fasttrack.life slash money course to transform your relationship with money from today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fast Track Podcast. Show me your support by liking this episode and sharing it with a friend. Join the Facebook group at Fast Track Podcast One, or you can find us on Instagram, youtube and of course the homepage fasttrack.live see you in the next episode